What's up, investors? We are going to be having a coaching call with an investor whose net worth is about $1.5 million. And I would probably say this is probably one of the most typical people that we work with these days. And people are asking me, you know, what's the average person that comes right through these doors and that I'd like to have get to know better. You guys book those free complimentary onboarding calls by signing up for the club at simplepassitcashflow.com slash club and get to know each other and let's meet on Zoom. And so, yeah, $1.5 million net worth. A lot of you guys are just like myself who used to work a day job. At least one of the spouses, if not both spouses, make six figures And you're in the grind, right? We're all that sandwich generation. You got older parents and you've got the younger kids that you got to take care of. I've got a a young child now. So I understand like when you're in your late 20s, early 30s, you're screwed. You can't get nothing done. All you can do is just hold down the fort at work and you and your spouse, if you're lucky enough to have a spouse, just keeping things together. So it makes more importance to invest the right way. Average person I see who maybe played around with rental properties yet does syndication deals and they normally jump into a few deals and with no more than like maybe 10, 20% of their net worth to try it out. I think that's a prudent thing to do. Now, some people have joined our family office, Ohana Mastermind, which is our inner circle, gotten access to the right people and jumped in more quickly and hit that nice financial independence cash flow stream number that they're looking for a lot quicker than others. Again, most people, $1.5 million net worth, they want to play around with maybe 10, 20% of their net worth because they they look up and now they're in their 30s, 40s, or early 50s. And they're like, geez, I have some decent amount of net worth and some disposable liquidity. But still, after people go into maybe a few deals at the minimum, you know, it's not much, right? That's not going to get you to financial independence. No way, Jose. That's not going to happen. This stuff isn't like venture capital. And that's why we, I like it. It's not like crypto that just nosedives off some random incident that happened. By the way, if you guys also want to hear my synopsis on the crypto winter that's coming, check out the YouTube channel, Rich Uncle. Check that out on our website or YouTube. And I think I did a 15 to 20 minute video on just that topic alone. But um, the Rich Uncle channel is a little bit more geared up for the younger investors out there where a lot of you guys are more of the accredited investors. But going back to that typical profile, $1.5 million net worth, you've got maybe four to $500,000 of dead lazy equity in your home because you were brainwashed as a child to pay down your mortgage and be debt adverse. That's exactly what the banks want to do, want you to do, by the way. You maybe have two to $500,000 in your 401k locked in there, which there's a lot of content we have on our website of jailbreaking that stuff out to minimize the overall effect of taxes. You still got to pay that 10% little penalty, but no big deal. That's why you got to surround yourself with other accredited investors who think this way, uh, because it definitely is a lonely world out there, which is why we do these events. Coming up in October 1st, we are going to be going out to Napa Valley. So make sure you guys are signed up and check that out. We're going to be slowly working on the info page for this. Get on the email list to get first access to this, but check it out. Simple com slash Napa and enjoy the podcast. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. All right. We can make up a fake name if you want. But why don't you give people a little bit of context of where you're at 
I guess so people can kind of get jump into the story as we dive down these webs of questions. So my name's Ron. I'm in Dallas, Texas. I have my own law practice and married two small kids. My wife works. Now we have probably about a million dollars in direct industrial assets that we own. No syndications. My background is obviously as a commercial lawyer, commercial real estate lawyer. Did the SFR thing. Had a, at the peak, I had about five SFR. I had a partner, and you know, I split one with my brother, uh, and we had an Airbnb as well. But it was just too many doors to, to handle. So this was about four years ago. I sold everything, which I thought was the peak of the Dallas market. Made a ton of money, but it's just stupid. We had some free and clear houses, and just sold those. Dumped everything into mostly single tenant, triple net industrial, and have been just collecting triple net rents for the past couple of years. And it's really great. It's all hands off. And I just, I don't even check the bank which, account. Which, which works. So I always have to press it for the dude listening on the podcast who hears one thing, infinite banking puts all his money in that. Mm-hmm. Guys out there, you need money to do this, dude. You know, sure. you can't just have a million or a couple of million dollars to dump your money into triple net. Triple net is seen as an end game strategy when you get to end game four or five million plus net worth. But before we go there, a lot of people are still in the, should I do some single family home? Should I talk to the guy who is about a million, $2 million net worth? Any hindsight lessons learned? If you were to talk yeah. to your So I definitely hear that concern a lot that this triple net is, is the end game and it's what people dump their money into a, a target or or some type of large retail or freestanding, whatever. Starbucks, that's seen as a holy grail with super low, super low cap rates, no no leverage, just pure cash. And, and really, that's just one slice of the pie. And triple net only just refers to a type of lease structure, but the deals that I'm doing and that I got started are, they're much grittier. They're dirty industrial buildings, but the tenants are on a form of net leasing. And if you can get them onto even a triple net, you have a same triple net structure. You may not have an absolute triple net, which is, I think, a a lot of people assume the Starbucks, the CVS, the Walgreens, those are absolute leases. You as an investor, you don't even have to pay property taxes. The property tax notice gets sent to the tenant. The tenant will dispute it. The tenant will pay. As an investor, that's really hands-off. And that's to the extreme that I wanted to be for my triple net. But yeah. One need to come up with to buy one of these types of properties? 200, 250. And, and even within that though, I would say the best way is, is to partner with a partner because then 250 each, you guys are putting in 500. That is a lot more palatable. Plus you have another person to bounce ideas off of. You can talk to somebody and it, it also helps split the legwork because underwriting, finding deals, closing them, that's, that's a lot of responsibility. And so if you're only one person, finding one partner to also put up 250 is probably what I would recommend. You're going to get a good size building that has enough cash flow to pay for property management, has enough surplus cash flow to pay for repairs, because you are going to be most likely responsible for the exterior of the building. You're going to have to pay for the roof. You're going to have to pay for driveway, parking lot, gates. Those will be part of your lease hold uh, responsibilities and you'll need some cash flow to pay property taxes which on our, my buildings are between 30 to 50,000 a year so you front those expenses and then the tenant reimburses you throughout the year on a monthly basis 
If you've been listening to the Simple Passive Cashflow podcast since 2016, you've seen me well change my mind a few times. At one time, I thought buying a bunch of rentals was the way to financial freedom, so you could be that cool guy at the local real estate club with all the other misguided landlords. As I became an accredited investor, I discovered the three-step system that we use today. First, syndication deals where you don't invest with dishonest operators to get better returns than the 401k financial planner garbage. Second step, get passive losses to unlock the tax best practices that the wealthy employ. And last and least impactful, number three, infinite banking. If your net worth is not yet $1 million, check out my free turnkey rental remote e-course at simplepassacashflow.com slash turnkey. All right, speaking to accredited investor to accredited investor, my 123 system is very simple to implement, but it requires plugging into a community of purely passive accredited investors like ours. Join our investor club for more insider access. Go to simplepassacashflow.com slash club. Those who are looking to deploy more than $250,000 their first year or make over $300,000 in annual income or net worth over a couple million dollars should really look into our exclusive inner circle called the Family Office HANA Mastermind, FOOM for short. Learn more at simplepassivecashflow.com slash journey. So you're talking about like a purchase price of 5 million bucks or... Or a little two, bit two, under two to three, two to three mil. Yeah, I would say yeah. under because you want a little bit of reserves and you want to make sure. Yeah, you you have a little bit of cash for repairs. God forbid. Yeah, you got you guys have five hundred thousand and you guys are making what about a year cash flow? So on these triple nets, I would say you should really expect at least nine to ten, maybe eleven percent cash on cash. If it's a single tenant bought at like a six and a half or a seven cap. Then you put leverage on it. We're still getting private banking stuff in below four. So like you could leverage it up with uh, 75% or 70% LTV. So that's going to juice your returns to that 9%, 10% threshold. And then again, if you have rent escalators, your rents go up, your expenses don't go up. It produces an exit that puts you in that 20, 25% IRR, depending on when you want to sell. And if you want to take the risk of uh, tenant renewals or not. And that's where instead of kind of like a property manager, that in a way, the property manager is a broker, right? That your friend in this business. <laughs> yeah. And a leasing broker. That, that There's a difference between the investment sales guy who brings you the deal and they do the transaction. They're usually not the same broker that does your leasing. Those are two different worlds. It's two different skill sets. So yeah, you want a leasing broker that can tell you what the market is for your property, what the rents are going to be. And they're the ones that are going to bring you tenants as well. It, isn't that going to be also the guy who takes care of like uh, maintenance, that type of stuff, physical maintenance? You typically don't have much physical maintenance. Maybe if you're in charge of like snow removal, but again, so for our properties, we all just self-manage. Yes, we have some people helping us, but for for... Most triple nets, if they're single tenant and other things, you don't need to pay a property manager. So again, maybe the broker, exactly. Yeah, the ticky tax stuff, the tenants take care of themselves and the bigger mm-hmm. things. It's infrequent enough for a guy like yourself who can use Yelp and go find a contractor on your, get a yep. couple of bids, knock it out. Exactly. We'll drink your pina colada for another few months, wait for the next issue to come up. Let's dig into some of your questions that you got here. Sure. I, I think my questions are how to plan and grow for the next phase. I have a good idea of what I want my life to be. I'm in a weird thing. I'm already living my life. I don't work that much. I put in like 35 to 40 hours a week. The firm, my daily cash just runs pretty consistently, but I just want to 
grow my rental income to a portfolio size so that I can exit on a group rate and really get that cap rate compression and sell $35 million worth of property for $40 million and uh, just collect the delta yeah. for the privilege. Let's get dig into the hard numbers here. What's your net worth, adjusted gross income? Yeah, where, where are we at with those kind of two key stats? So depending how you value the real estate, it's probably 75% of net worth. Net worth is like right over a million. That's not including primary. I don't know how you guys typically do that. I don't know. We include primary. That's your net. So your net worth is defined as all your assets minus all your liabilities, like your debts, your mortgages. So people essentially, if somebody, yeah, Yeah, somebody stole your kids and they wanted as much money, how much could you like liquidate everything in about a few weeks? Could you get essentially? So we're we're probably closer to 1.5 then. I'd say 1.5 because we're super low leverage on our on our primary, but yeah. So one five, and again, half of that's in in commercial real estate. I have no no SFR rentals anymore. It's it's all the industrial stuff. Yeah. A lot of people don't believe me. Um, I want to become an accredited investor. Can you tell me any good freaking reasons why you want to own little rental properties? Right, like liability, headache. If, so if not, the, a lot of the, us would love to sell ours. We got the whole yeah, mastermind but- looking to sell. Their remaining rentals. So. I think this is a good time to sell. You, you you have the same problem, and we face that too. Which is, if you sell, what do you do with the money? Because that is a existential problem at every single price point. Whether you're looking to sell like a hundred thousand dollar rental, you're looking to sell a ten million dollar triple net, or you're looking to sell a hundred million dollar REIT portfolio. What do you do with the money that generates a higher return than you're currently getting? Because if we're getting that 10% cash on cash right now, we bought at a good price. Our mortgage is quite low. We just cash flow on it. I don't know necessarily what I would buy right now if you put a gun to my head and said, here's an extra million dollars. It's a challenge, right? It's deal flow is the hardest part. But yeah, I, I would say sell SFR as soon as you can, because at least for, for us and for our family, make about 400 to 500 a year, depending on the business. But we save or invest about a hundred or two hundred a year, and so that reloads the kitty for us to buy new buildings every year. And but you're, and but you're also the dude who thought that Dallas 2017 wasn't going to go up. Right? Yeah, not to say it didn't go up. More. <laughs> I wanted to simplify my rental portfolio at that time because I with six with six roofs, I was even with a property manager, I was always having emails like a water heater went out. Oh, the dishwasher broke here. Oh, this, oh, this happened. Oh, that happened. Oh, the tenants complained about it. It was just annoying. And so I felt like it was still an incredible investment. If you think about, I was cash flowing on a rental. I had property managers, so I wasn't doing a whole lot. And then when I sold for a pretty good appreciation, I was like, Hey man, I'm, I'm super happy with it. It was like banking profits. I love I say this quote, you'll never go broke banking a profit. And so there's nothing, I think there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, for sure. And even in, in 2017 or 2018, I thought uh, a lot of multifamily syndications were overpaying for properties in, in my area because I got a lot of friends that are syndicators and they wanted me to throw in money, but they were just overbuying what I thought, overbuying, overpaying for some really crappy apartments. And they're laughing all the way to the bank when they make 300% return in two years. And larger 
high net worth families, like over your 10, 25, they're always going to asset allocate to, they're always going to have a portion of your portfolio, whether that portion is 5%, 50% in asymmetric return. So they're always mm-hmm. going to have that play, which you don't. In terms of net worth, you got some movement to go, man. You got to get up to four or five million before you can start to play defense. The way I look at, so I, I'm coming in from a different perspective, right? Like I also thought in 2016, 17, I was at a different coffee shop and I thought things were a little overheated myself, yeah. but I had also seen this same thing. I, you know, I started investing in 09, 2012. I'm like, wow, this is getting really expensive. Then 2014, wow, this is getting really expensive. Once you go through three of these spaces in your own head, you start to realize that it's just you. And I think what you start to see is a lot of people, they're still in that first, second go round in their own head and they think oh, it's going to go up. And then they start to see that rogue internet form or random YouTube channel that's just trying to sell views and they get all freaked out. You never have a crystal ball. So my thing, a buy box is go, what do you do, right? With the money, if you were to sell those rental properties, you buy stuff yeah. that hits a 1.25, that service coverage ratio. Why? Because that's what the, the professional banks do, for goodness sakes. Copy what the pros do instead of us amateurs, right? Copy what the pros do. They go into stuff that cash flows. If it has some value add, awesome. But the, the metaphor that I use is, let's say we're trying to climb a mountain, and that's what we are. And if you're at 1.25, 1.5 million, if you're under 3 million, you still got to be climbing this mountain. Where you're at is it's so windy and stormy. 1.5 ain't jack right you're if you have a couple kids they're gonna blow that stuff easily the reason why we say four or five million net worth is you can give a couple kids that and it's kind of hard for them to screw up you can take five million divide it right three million at ten percent is two few hundred thousand dollars pass a cash flow a year it's hard to screw that up but kids are amazing right they can probably screw it up really hard i'm sure now you're seeing that 1.253, 4 million is not enough. So we're trying to climb this mountain. So if we can, I don't know if you've ever done like Patagonia type of stuff. I've never had like the code, but the way I watch the videos on YouTube is they tie off, right? They, they go up, they tie off because what? If the rock breaks or the market collapses or there's a reset, right? A pandemic, they fall, but they don't die. They just fall that 10 feet from mm. where they, they tied off. And in a way, that's what the cash flow deals, 1.25 debt service coverage ratio is. And then they, they aggressively climb. So you could think of that as they're still going into more asymmetric type of deals. And for you, that might mean stabilized assets with a little bit of value add. For me, it might mean yeah. putting into venture capital, right? Like I think that's where personally we might be different or people range. Everybody has their own risk tolerance. And I think... But the reason I like your opinion or respect your opinion is because we're at least more risk-friendly, risk-loving in that we're in real estate at all. I go to these conferences for family office and private equity stuff, and, and commercial real estate is still an alternative investment. They're so focused on just stocks and bonds and fixed income and different types of financial products. That is their bread and butter. All they just talk about is equities and Oh, owning commercial real estate or REITs, like, oh, that's an alternative asset class. And that's something that we have embraced. And I'm comfortable with that risk, the lack of liquidity, all this stuff, property tax. I think that makes sense. We're aligned on. I I agree with what they do. I I think I see, I want to know your thoughts on this. The reason why they think that is like, 
with real estate, it's predicated on the operator and the people. And that's where you can go wrong with this. If you work with dishonest people who are or incompetent people, then yeah, it's going to go bad. And, and that's what they describe as counterparty risk. Yeah. Things go wrong in big companies, but it kind of works its way out internally. You don't really have that too much. Whereas real estate, these alternate, they see as alternative in that investments. It is a risk in their eyes because it's based on the people. But if you can mitigate that by building a community around you of people who've worked with people in the past, I think that's a appropriate way of mitigating the risk. But I get it from their point of view. And part of me too, you, you think about the number and everybody has their numbers. It's like, would I take that money if you told me the choice of selling the next whatever, a couple of years of my life and said, I'll just hand it to you in cash. Do I just put it into the VT max VTI and just let it ride on just straight dividend? I don't think so. Because to me, that's not fun. Like real estate is fun buying it and working the property and working with the tenants. So that's where one thing that you might, or the listeners might want to, if they don't really like real estate, yes, like a huge part of their portfolio, 50%, 100%. Some of the people in our family office mastermind group, which people can check out at com slash journey. I don't really pay attention to this because I'm big on real estate. Maybe I'm when I'm super old, I don't want to interact with anybody. I'll do it. But they call it the quadfecta strategy. If you go on YouTube, you can find the strategy. It's a way of hedging yourself. But that might be a tidbit in there that people might want to try. Yourself might want to try if you do like your paper assets. I just don't like them because I think it's... It's kind of like some people don't like coffee sourced from conflict areas. They just don't want to drink that stuff. Just like I don't like paper assets, but that might be something to think about. But you know, I think everybody needs to, as you're ascending to four or five million dollars net worth, you need to change your asset allocation mix appropriately. I think where you're at, you asked for some advice. So I would still be pushing pretty hard. 80 20 would be in value add. You got to get going. You're not going to get anywhere with 9-10%. And when something inevitably messes up a very small portion of the time, right? And you go down to 6-7% that year, inflation just kicked your butt. <laughs> this is a game of inches. You got to get that 14-15-16% to, to beat inflation so high now. Somebody else told me the other day that they're ditching their triple because a lot of their tenants are a lot more sophisticated, bigger guys, and they're more they can they can bully them because they know interest inflation is going up and they just dropped the lease and said screw you what are you going to do sue us you're going to sue Wal- Walgreens so that's why like he said like the industry in general is not getting as strong for the triple net crowd and I took that as well right now this is a bull freaking market right now if people don't realize it you are blind to this rents are going up six ten percent some of these markets in all markets I have a call with everybody like. Three times a day, they're like, yeah, I'm from XYZ. My market's going crazy. I'm like, yeah, buddy, it's going crazy. That's a market. But like the, the triple nets is a defense strategy that I can hurt you in this type of environment. Where- limited. Your upside is limited in inflation because you can't mark to market your rents as, as fast. So your asset value is decreasing until you can mark to market and either renew the tenant or sign a new tenant at market rates. Yeah. And you but lock yourself downs- in. Yeah. How long is but, the but lock-in? Three years? At least three yeah. to seven years at least. Yeah. So you can right now that your tenants feel like they're getting a freaking steal now, right? Like 
for three years, they lock in. Their property taxes are going to go up. Their insurance premiums are going to go up. So how good of a deal they feel, that's part of it. But yeah, for sure, the base rent is the biggest component. And they do. They, But hopefully they carry that mentality into the lease renewal when I want to mark to 50% increase. They oh, say, no, okay, that's not yeah. how they think, man. They're just going off of what they were, the price they paid back in 2022. Sure, sure, that's true. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just Hey, Lane, I appreciate it. I probably have to hop off soon, but... Yeah, any last thoughts? I think you got to... This is a wave, right? You you might have to get out of your comfort zone, but not saying you got to go 80-20. Maybe just go like 20-5% of your portfolio. Just as it comes available, put it into more... Maybe not the stabilized value add stuff, but maybe go on the other end, which is development. We're doing a webinar for kind of the club members. You want you guys get it if you join the club, simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. But we're seeing a pivot. We bought like a property for 87 in Houston. And now the damn thing is worth 120, one, two quarters later. It, this doesn't make any sense. So in this, with the tide rising, it makes more sense just to develop it. And that really protects you against downside scenario too, because new product on the market will always get the best rents, even if the rents have cratered. People want to live in the new building. So yeah. you'll have demand. As long as you can build it, as long as you can see it to completion and, you know, create construction contracts, plans and specs, mitigate change orders, that competent project manager. Yeah, that's the case, right? Like, I think of it as a helicopter, whereas like these stabilized value add deals are jeeps going through the jungle at any point, hit an obstacle or as similar as owning a single family home, right? Any little thing can go wrong and yeah. hit a flat tire, but but you have more of a cushion. You got more of a cushion if you're not relying on that cash flow. So Yeah. Just like the guy's getting started where his, his house paid off. I'm always like, just do baby steps, man. Just get a HELOC. You might, you know, you can get $500,000 HELOC on your whole house. Just take hundred grand of that in the next quarter. And yeah. I think you're more conscious of this, but yeah, just baby steps, right? I think that's the thing. And then when you get the four or five million, then I think you can play this game that you've been playing. But maybe part of that is just surrounding yourself with more high net worth people in the three to five mil range too. Yeah. Cool. Hey, I appreciate it. I appreciate the time. I got to hop off. 